Well, remember tonight, guys, we have our fifth Sunday night. Uh, hope you participate in that and be a part of that. And afterward, we're going to have a fellowship together and eat a little bit of sandwiches and play some games. So bring your favorite game. I encourage you to be a part of that. Um, we are in First Peter, where we've been for a while. First Peter chapter 4. I want to read verses 7 through 11. And entitled this message, Marching Orders. So I just encourage you to stand in God's honor as I read from our text. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. Faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides. So that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Master, here we are again, Lord. We lean upon that amazing grace. How sweet the sound is. Because, Lord, without your grace, there's no hope for us. I just pray that as we celebrate you, as we think about eternity this morning, as we look at these words of urgency from Peter, Father, may you give us a sense of the moment and how our lives are to reflect eternity, moment by moment. And I just ask, Holy Spirit, that you continue to lead our service, Lord. I've sensed your presence all morning, and I pray you continue to work. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. A deadline creates a sense of urgency. When you have a huge financial bill before you, and you wonder, how am I going to pay it? That anxiety only seems to grow as the deadline draws closer. You say, how in the world am I going to come up with the money to pay that? Or if there's that person that you think, oh boy, they are so... Mm. And I want to, you know, you're not married and you're thinking, I want to, I'm going out with them in a few days. And so you begin thinking about it. It's all you can think about. And it just, you know consumes you until it comes to that time where, you know, the date occurs and you're fixed up and you're thinking, man, this is going to go one or two ways. She's going to be impressed or depressed. And I know which I prefer. But there comes a sense of urgency as that time approaches, as that anticipation comes. Or if it's something you've been training for, a competition, sports or music or, or something where the time 
is going to prove how good you actually are. At whatever it is you've been preparing for. And there's a sense of urgency and a sense of anxiety. And I can't help but think about those Olympic athletes. That a lot of times they work their whole lives to come to that one event. And there's the test. There the urgency is going to be made complete. Or I think about the person um, who is facing death. And, And suddenly everything that seems so important comes so trivial. Has loved ones spent hours in a waiting room in order to spend time with that person? Because they know that time is limited. That soon that person's going to step into eternity and they're going to be missed. It creates a sense of urgency. And there is a sense of urgency that is created when we understand that there is a deadline. When we understand that at some point, it's going to come due. Where we're going to be faced with what really matters, with what really lasts. And that was true in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus walked among the disciples for three years and He loved them. He taught as God and people were like, wow! As they listened to him teach, they had never heard anything like it before. And he reached out with compassion. And he healed those who had diseases and illnesses. And he set people free from spiritual bondage and from demon possession. And it was amazing how he ministered. How he loved people. And how he nailed people who were playing spiritual games instead of loving him. Well, I'm just so spiritual. And Jesus laid on the line and shared the truth. That was Jesus. But then the deadline was approaching. Turn me to Luke chapter 9, verse 51. Amazing section of Scripture as we think about how Jesus moved among the people and how they saw God. Verse 51, it says, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. The deadline. The the time was approaching. He was headed to Jerusalem. He was headed to the cross. To his mission. To his purpose. He could see the deadline. There was a time for urgency in our Lord. A couple of places uh, he shares that. Matthew 16. It is that section of Scripture where Peter, who God used, of course, in this letter of Peter uh, to write. and We have a picture of Peter in the Scripture. Peter makes these great comments of Jesus. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But then he turns around right after that and Jesus shares what's going to happen. Verse 21, it says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed. And on the third day, Be raised to life. Peter took him aside. 
and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Peter wasn't looking for a cross. He was looking for a crown. Peter wasn't looking for crucifixion. He was looking for a kingdom where he could co-rule. Peter had missed the urgency. He had missed where Jesus was pointing. And so Jesus responded, verse 23, Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of me. Another place in Matthew 24, verse 3, it says he came to tell them about the things to come. And then verses 4 through 8, he gets to the basics, the sense of urgency. And he tells them about the signs of about what is to come. That the deadline is near. Winston Churchill, after looking at the bombed out ruins of England, he said, this is not the end and it's not even the beginning of the end, but it is perhaps... The end of the beginning. The end of the beginning. As we look and as we wait for Jesus, so often we get sidetracked on the trivial and we miss what matters and we lose a sense of urgency. We miss the deadline. We miss the mission. And guys, as you look around It's so easy for us to look around and criticize one another on the basis of what doesn't really matter and miss the basis of what really does. In Romans 14.10, it says, You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He'll bring to light what's hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. So often what we get involved in, it's like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. It's going down. (laughs) It, It doesn't really last. And the call here in this scripture is to look at what matters. And so let's go back to 1 Peter 4. And I just want to briefly go through these truths that are shared here that Peter gives. A first truth here. He says, the end of all things is near for, therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. The picture here of clear-minded or, or sober-minded means, you know, you're in your right mind. You see it as it really is. And we're called to see it as it really is, which is this life is passing, but the life with Jesus is coming. That's the way we need to see. We need that. You know, I think a sober mind, I think what it means not to be sober. I haven't even seen any of the hangover movies, but I think the basic premise is these guys get drunk and they don't know what they did. But there are all these signs of, I don't think we wanted to do that. And the picture here is we don't want to live our lives so that we wake up one day and say, I really didn't want to do that. But we need to be aware. We need to think clearly and self-controlled as we 
follow him. It's the opposite of living in a frenzy. We need to be aware of the end times. But uh, as Warren Wiersbe said, he said when he was a young preacher, he preached a message one time giving the exact details of every trivial thing he could think of about prophecy and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And when he got finished, he said uh, one of the older Christians who loved Jesus with all of his heart came up to him and he said, Brother Wiersbe, you must be on the planning committee for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he thought about that and said, huh. So a few years later, he said, I don't want to be on the planning committee. I want to be on the welcoming committee. We may disagree or see things a little differently on some of the theology of of when Jesus is going to come or how He's going to get here. But brothers and sisters, we need to agree that He's coming. That's where it counts. The welcoming committee to be self-controlled and to be people of prayer, which is to be connected to the living God. He says, so we can pray. Think about Peter. Remember when he was in the garden with Jesus, Peter and and uh, James and John. And, and it, Peter said, he was told by Jesus, I want you to stay here and pray. I've got this huge burden. And of course, Jesus went and he prayed knowing the cross was before him. And he came back and what were they doing? They were sleeping. They were snoring. They were out cold. And Jesus said, the flesh is, the, the, the flesh is weak. The spirit's willing. And Peter looked back at that. And he's saying, oh, I missed it. The sense of urgency that I should have had. Secondly, love each other deeply. Look at verse 8. He says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. It speaks of intensity and determination. And the picture here is a, a scene of runners in a race stretching forward to hit the tape. To come in first in that race. And it's a picture of man. We need to stretch. In how we love each other. And notice in this verse. It says because it covers over a multitude of sins. It is so easy for us. To get caught up in each other's sins. Well you know that Todd. He's got a habit of doing this. And he does it all the time. So we just. You know we just talk about it. When we love each other, we begin to see that it's not our jobs to rehearse one another's sins. Learn to love one another. Proverbs 17, verse 9, it says, He who covers over an offense promotes love, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Sometimes we need to look over one another. And we don't criticize other churches or other pastors or other Christians. Well, let me tell you about that church down the street, what I heard about them. Bob Foy shared this morning. Man, we can... The most powerful tool in our evangelism is when we're together, when we're really about Jesus. And what hurts us the most is when people look at us, not just Kingsway, all the churches, and they can't even get along with each other. Why? How could I get along with them? We're to love each other with that kind of a love, guys. Uh, Moffat says it's a warning against loving each other with stops and starts. Stops and starts. We need to have a steady love. I need to move on. I'm about out of time here. Be hospitable. Verse 9. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. He says with a sense of urgency, man, we need to be connected. 
I love that as, as Bob Ford shared this morning. There is such great power in just learning who we are in Christ and learning each other. The power that hospitality has in that. Of, of knowing more than just brushing up against one another for a few minutes in a worship service or a Sunday school class. But really beginning to know each other. To be willing to be hospitable. Uh, so that love is so busy unveiling the hope of tomorrow, there's no time to bring up the pain of, of yesterday, but to live with that sense of anticipation together. Peter, as an evangelist, he stayed in people's homes because most of the inns you went to were brothels in that day, and that wasn't a place for an evangelist to go. So he got to know the people in the churches that he went to as he stayed in the homes and was ministered to. Um, I've told you guys, but some people that I really, really love of one church where we were at, Harold and Nancy Bailey, when we first went to the church, we were trying to sell our house, the church we were at, and I, I had stayed with them, it was probably a month, and uh, and they were just so good to me, just took me in. We became really close. He learned real quickly I was a huge Duke fan, and I, you know, I won't spend a lot of time with that, but... I remember 15 years ago I saw was the Miracle Minute for Duke. They were playing Maryland, and they were down by 10 points with 50 seconds, and somehow Duke won the game. And I was at Harold Nancy Bailey's house. As was our custom, there was a game on. Harold would call and say, come over, Todd. And they had one of those surround sound systems before everybody had one of those surround sound systems. With, a, you know, whatever the huge TV was and all that. And I went over there and, and Nancy, talk about how spilled. She'd always make tons of cookies and tons of iced tea. And I was the entertainment, jumping around, screaming and yelling. And was I doing some yelling in that last minute? And every once in a while, Harold would call and he would remind me. And, you know, I became bonded. Not in church, per se, but out of church. There's power in that, guys. Because God binds us together, our hearts together. And then, um, you know, a few years ago when Lydia was doing her internship, uh, not far from where they lived, it was in Richmond. Uh, we were outside of Richmond, that church. And she was really worried about where she was going to stay, and she didn't know anybody. And I smiled, and I said, I know somebody. And so I called Harold and Nancy Bailey, and I said, you know, can Lydia come there? And she'd make a little bit of money. She could pay it if you could let her stay in a room there. Oh, you don't always think that you let her come. And she said, well, I don't know these people. I said, but I do. And I said, I guarantee you, it won't take you long to love them. So it was about, you know, not that long later. She said, I love these people. I said, I know. Matter of fact, it was that next year at school. She, Lydia went to Bluefield College. They're from West Virginia, about an hour away from Bluefield College. They called her up and said, Lydia, why don't you come to the family reunion? Hey, hospitality. That sense of urgency that brings hospitality. I got uh, one more here. Keep serving one another in verses 10 and 11. He says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. God has gifted us all in different ways, but all for Him. And I loved it when Bob Foy was sharing, and it is so true. There's no such thing as... Uh, one or two man shows or one or two women shows in a church. It's about all of God's people. 
Using their giftedness and the way God created them for one single purpose, to glorify and love Him. Notice he says that in verse 11. That's what it's about. He says, so that in all things... God may be praised through Jesus Christ. How do we do it? He says, so that we do it with the strength God provides. And, and, you know, I know I'm out of time. I go through, there's all these gifts. Uh, Read it sometime today. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4. There are these different lists of spiritual gifts. And God gives us all some gifts. But the gifts are not something we go out on, you know, I'm doing this by myself. No, we do it together, all for the purpose of lifting up Jesus Christ in the body of Christ. That's that's the work that he does. If your gift is mercy, you know, it's obvious you're good in, in being there for people when they're hurting. I had a friend of mine, uh, Riley, and, and they did a spiritual gifts thing. And, and the pastor, he told me, the pastor said, Riley, I love you, brother. He said, you're the only one that scored as low as me on the mercy test. But we're all different. God, some evangelism, the people that have evangelism, we've all known them. They just have this great ability to just talk about Jesus. They don't force it. And, and God moves. We're all called to share Jesus. And some people are gifted with a special gift. And, and I can go on with, with this. But the gifts are used for Him. And why? Verse 7, as I'm getting ready to close out here, the urgency. Look how verse 7 starts. The end of all things is near. Man, we need, we need to be reminded of that. The end of all things is near. We just live like it's going to go on like this forever. My schedule will never be interrupted. Just wait. Just wait. The end of all things is near. I want to close with... Some verses from a great old hymn. The sands of time are sinking. You know, it's interesting. As I looked at this hymn, there were 19 verses. Now, I'm not going to read all 19 verses. But this was a guy that was doing some thinking about the end times with 19 verses. I want to read just a few of them, though. Beautifully written. tells us, let's think about what lasts instead of what just is going to pass. Okay, uh, The sands of time are sinking. The dawn of heaven breaks. The summer morn I've sighed for, the fair sweet morn awakes. Dark, dark hath been the midnight, but day spring is at hand, and glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. O Christ, He is the fountain, the deep, sweet well of love. The streams of earth I've tasted more deep, I'll drink above. There to an ocean fullness His mercy doth expand and glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. But that He build a heaven of His surpassing love, a little new Jerusalem like to the one above. Lord, take me over the water hath been my loud demand. Take me to my love's own country unto Emmanuel's land. I shall sleep sound in Jesus, filled with His likeness rise, to love and to adore Him, to see Him with His eyes. <laughs> Tween me and resurrection, but paradise to stand. Then, then for glory dwelling in Emmanuel's land. One more, don't worry, I'm not doing all 19. The bride eyes not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze at glory, but on my King of grace... Not at the crown He giveth, but on His pierced hand. The Lamb is all the glory. 
of Emmanuel's land. Let's pray. Father, give us urgency, Lord. Emmanuel's land is around the corner for all of us. I don't know what moment, I don't know what hour, I don't know what day, but I know it is coming. There is a deadline. And Father, may we live with that reality before us, Lord. Give us a heart, God, for you. With an altar that's open, Father, maybe someone needs to come and pray. With hearts that are all challenged, mine the most. Renew my vision, renew my heart, renew my awareness of you and how fast time passes and how quickly I'll be in eternity and how that's what matters. And, and Father, I just pray that if there is one here that has not made that decision to trust Jesus, to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, forgive me, enter my heart. I want you. You see, that's what matters most. And I pray anyone in that state would trust Jesus right now and say yes to Him and follow Him. Um, Father, You know where we are and I just ask that You lead us where we need to be. Um, may we follow Your Spirit in this time we call invitation, response. We want You to guide us. So as we stand, as we sing, as we pray, may we follow Jesus. In Christ's name, Amen.